If you are new, you came at a great time. We are in a series we do every year where we look at our four core values and we talk about who we are as a church. And this series is called We Are Core Church. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 3. If you want to look that up now, if you don't have a Bible, on your phone, uh, just download version. I read out of the New Living Translation. So Jeremiah chapter 3, we'll get there in, in just a moment. But about 10 years ago, I shared this last week, but if you weren't able to be here, 10 years ago, I was sitting at a coffee shop and I kind of asked God this question like, what, do you, what is it you want from your church? What is it you want us to do? I think that's the million dollar question that all of us ask as followers of Jesus. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, you came at a great time because we're going to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and who we are as a church. And so God led me to the great commandment, which says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I wrote down four words on a napkin, heart, soul, mind, and neighbor. And these became kind of the pillars for our church, our four core values. And we're going to put them on the screen so you can see them. I spoke about uh, number one last week, parent or child, HN1S, you're needed right now. All right. Um, we just, everybody's a number here. You're not a name, you're a number. Aren't you glad they put the number up there and not your name? That just is terrible. Like, although you do have to do the walk of shame. So sorry. But I digress. These are our core values. <laughs> these are our core values. And I want us to say these four together, okay? It's all about hope, healing, peace, and purpose. So let's say these. We find hope as we connect our hearts in worship. We receive healing as we offer our souls in surrender. We gain peace as we renew our minds in relationship. We discover purpose as we engage our neighbors through serving. Today I want to talk about core value number two up there, that we receive healing as we offer our souls in surrender. We're looking at uh, Jeremiah, so if you have a Bible, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Let me catch you up on who Jeremiah is if you don't know. He's a prophet, a preacher from the old school, Old Testament. And uh, the prophets, they go out in the wilderness, they come back, and people see him coming, they're like, oh great, this isn't going to be good. And they'd always have this word, and this was not a good word. Israel was in rebellion, and that's an understatement. We're going to talk about what, what Israel was doing, because what they were doing, some of what you are going to hear, what they were doing, you're going to go, there's no way they were doing that. Now I know why God was so ticked off at them. He was very angry with them, and justly so. And he gave this message to Jeremiah. He said, take this to my people. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, uh, verse 19. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. See, they had been in slavery. God led them out of slavery for 700 years. They lived in an amazing land. Things were going great, but they were not living so great. He said, I look forward to your calling me father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you've been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You, you've been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then Jeremiah interjects and he says this, voices are heard on high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people. But they've chosen crooked paths and they've forgotten the Lord their God. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. This is our God. This is what he wants to do for you. Yes, we're coming, the people replied. 
For you are the Lord our God, our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. From childhood we have watched as everything our ancestors worked for, their flocks, their herds, their sons, their daughters, was squandered on a delusion. We're going to talk about that delusion and it's going to shock you at what they were doing. Let us now lie down in shame and cover ourselves with dishonor. For we and our ancestors have sinned against the Lord our God from our childhood to this day. We have never obeyed him. Father, thank you for this house of worship. Thank you for a place where we can come just to unplug from the world. Whew, catch our breath a little bit. Man, it feels good, God, to be in your house today and just pushing the world aside and all of the struggles of this world aside and just to receive from you. So I pray you'd speak over your people today. God, that in this place today, we would find hope, healing, peace, and purpose. Every man, every woman would find that today. And God, speak through me today. May your words be mighty and clear in all that you want to say in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right. You can be seated. I think one of the most refreshing and satisfying things as a parent is the ability to send your child to their room. Can I get an amen from the parents? Oh, it just feels so good. It, it doesn't matter their age. They can be 3, 13, 17, it doesn't matter. Dad, I'm 17, why? Go to your room, to the dungeon. I mean, it's just, it's just the ultimate trump card. It's just like, and we parents, we, we, how many parents here? Raise your hand if you're a parent so I know the parent. Okay, we got a lot of parents here. All right. Um, how many of you have had parents? How many of you have parents? Raise your hand. You have par had parents? Okay, all right. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Do I? I'm not sure if I had parents. Yeah, everybody had parents. Um, but, I, you know, as a parent, it's just, it's just the ultimate trump card. And so uh, we usually will pull it out when we've run out of things to say. Or <laughs> our words get jumbled up and you can't, like you're talking and you're like, and then you say, and, and then you and you, and I just, go to your room. <laughs> Because you, you don't know what to say next, so you just pull that card out, and they go to their room. Now, uh, what Laura and I discovered, we have four children, and what we discovered over the years is sending them to their room was a really bad idea. Any parents with me on this one? Because like then you go up to check on them, what are they doing up there? They're like playing with Legos, they're building a little castle, and you're like, this is not what you're supposed to You're supposed to be thinking about the horrible person that you are. Um, no, I didn't say that out loud. Uh, but, uh, but you know, and so what Laura and I would do is we would send our kids to the stairs. So we'd send them to the stairs, no toys, no books, no nothing. Just sit on the stairs and think about the horrible person that you are. Now, let me ask you this. In all transparency, how many parents have, have you ever forgotten about your kids when you sent them to their room. <laughs> okay, uh, five of us. The rest of you are all lying. You know you have. I mean, that's just the worst feeling ever because you're like, time goes by and all of a sudden you hear that voice coming from, from the other room. Dad? Mom? You like them out? So that moment you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you know I, I forget? You, forget, I, who, you sent them. I didn't send them. No, you said, oh my God. It's been two and a half hours. <laughs> five more minutes. You need five more minutes. <laughs> in, our, in our lives, we, we, we've all done things that we regret. We, we all have um, pain in our lives. We, we all have made decisions, and we, we've all made 
choices, poor choices, poor decisions that have hurt us and, and hurt others around us. And, and so we live with these, these regrets, things that we wish that we could undo. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like in, in your failure that God has forgotten you? That, that God's angry with you? That he has somehow rejected you and sent you to your room never to be seen or heard from again. Maybe you, you feel today that, you know, well, you know, I know God, I know God can forgive others. I know he can forgive them, but I just don't, I just don't think he can forgive me. Or maybe today you're someone who says, well, I, I believe that God, he, he, that he will forgive me. I just... I, I just don't know if he'll forgive that, that, that one thing that I did. I just don't think he can do that. Maybe you feel like you're, you're unworthy. After, after what, I, what I've done, there's just, I'm just, I, need to, I need to stay away because I'm just unworthy of God's love. Or, or maybe you're, you're someone who you feel like, you know, I, I believe that, that God has um, forgiven me. I, I believe that he ha- has done that, but I, I'm damaged goods. And after what I, I did, I, I know God's forgiven me, but he, he, um, he can't use me. So I'm just going to sit over here and time out. And everybody else has a purpose and a plan and God's going to use them, but, but not me. I'd like for you to write this down, and I, I think this is where I want to travel with you guys for just a few minutes today, is God's heart is for my healing. God's heart is for my healing. Come on, tell somebody in front of you, behind you, God's heart is for your healing. Come on, speak that over somebody right now. Would you do that for me? God's heart is for your healing. God's deepest desire and longing is to heal your soul. That's what he wants to do. And so, listen, God God has not forgotten you. God uh, has not rejected you. You are not damaged goods. In fact, it's the complete opposite of that. And I love what Jeremiah says here, and it's God speaking through him. And back in verse 19, God says this, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, this, the finest possession in the world. And let, let's say this, this part together, okay, as, as kind of a confession over our own lives. I look forward to your calling me Father. Come on, I want us to say it like you really believe it. I look forward to you calling me Father. And I wanted you to never turn from me. See, God has the heart of a father. And his heart is for your healing. I think for every parent, do you remember that moment where you had your child, they were born, and they got a little bit older, and they started to form words, and you couldn't wait. Couldn't wait for that moment when they would either say, Mama or Dada. Mama or Dada, and you're waiting for it, and you're hoping they're going to say yours first. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to be humble, but you can't wait, and you're hoping that they say yours, and you're like, yes, they said Dada first. 
<laughs> you hold it over your spouse for decades. I've never done that. Uh, but we can't wait for that moment, right? It's a way for them to say that. Our, our two youngest uh, are adopted, Jeremiah and Skye. And I remember when they came to uh, live with us long, long time ago. Jeremiah was three, Skye was one. And we went through these adoption classes, and they told us in these adoption classes that um, you got to let the child um, say mom or dad. You don't make them call you mom or dad, so just, you know, let them determine when they want to say that and, and what they want to call you. And, and I will never forget when we were, never forget this, we were sitting around the, the dinner table, and uh, Jeremiah was three, and man, he's just this big old puppy dog, man, he has big old brown eyes, and and Laura was sitting there, and Jer was like right here, and, and so Laura says to, to Jeremiah, she says, okay, um, honey, what, what would you like to call me? This is a big moment. I mean, this is like a really big moment. What would you like to call me? And, and, and he looks, he just kind of gets his shoulders up, and he's just this big old puppy dog. He's like, I'm going to call you Mama. Oh, Laura melted. It was, it was so beautiful. It was just um, it was such an amazing moment, like everything that she'd longed for, everything she'd hoped for, and in that moment, there was that connection. And then it was my turn. <laughs> so I said, hey, Jer, buddy, I'm sitting like here. He's like right here. And I, what, what, what would you would you like to call me? And he turns to me, big old brown puppy dog eyes, and he sits up straight and he says, I'm going to call you Brad. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Oh, I was so devastated. I was like, Brad sounds like dad. Come on, one step Brad, dad rhymes. Come on, I say, oh, I was just so devastated. I was like, man, oh, but then I remember a, a couple months later, just a few months later, uh, Jer and I were outside, and I was hanging Christmas lights uh, right above the, in, outside of the garage, and I was on this little stepladder, and he's three, and I said, hey, buddy, you go get me some of those lights, and he just toddles over his cute little self and gets these little lights, and he comes toddling back to me, and I'm up on this ladder, and he reaches up, and he goes, here you go, Dad. I was like, just a second, just a second. Dad, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm, am I okay? I'm okay. He called me dad. I mean, I came down off that ladder, gave him the biggest hug. I ran inside, grabbed Laura, and I was like, ah, you just called me dad. Yes. If you've never had kids, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm just telling you. It's amazing. This is the heart of God. This is who God is. I don't, I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from, but that's how excited God gets when the moment that you call him Father, he longs for that. And Jeremiah says that he, he wants us to be his own children. He loves us. But, but unfortunately for, for many of us, uh, we get our view of our heavenly Father from our, from our earthly father. So if your, if your earthly father um, was loving, 
I mean, if he's just a loving man, then, then you have this feeling that God, that's who God is. God, is, God loves me, and he, he cares about me. If you had a father who, who listened to you, like really listened to you, eye contact and listened to your little stories and stuff, you just feel like when I pray, God listens to me, and, and I just feel his, and maybe if you had a dad who was present, you know, he just was there, he's at your ball games, your recitals, and, and just in the room, he was just present with you. You have this impression that God is, is the same. But the opposite of that is also very, very true. If, if you had a father that was distant or you have a father who is distant, then you have this impression that your heavenly father, he doesn't care. And he's, he's out there somewhere, but he's not really there. If you had a, a, a father who was a harsh disciplinarian who never loved you, then you feel that way about God. That God just, he's just waiting for the moment that you're going to mess up and boom, he's going to come in and crack the whip on you. I knew it. That's who you are. That's all you ever will be. And that's your impression of God. If your father was distant or harsh or unloving, that can become your impression of God. Now, let me just step off for just a moment and, and just say this to, to dads. This is a passion of mine. How many dads? Raise your hand. If you're a dad, I want you to raise your hand. All right. Look around, dads. Put them up. Look around. Okay, all the dads in the house. All right. This is our responsibility. We can't, we can't hand this off to anyone else. How we are as dads is going to shape and mold the view of how our children think about their heavenly father. So it's important, dads, that we love our children right it's important that when we, when we mess up, and, and we will mess up because we can't be perfect like our Heavenly Father, but it's important that, dads, when we mess up, that we own up, that we go to our children and we say, man, I, dad, that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool what I did as a dad, and that's not what I should be doing, and I'm really, really sorry, and I, I want you to forgive me. I speak that from experience with all four of my children. They can tell you that. I, they can tell you all the times that I've messed up as a dad. But I pray that they could also tell you all the times that I came behind that and asked their forgiveness and tried to be present and, and be there. See, dads, listen, dads, you know, sometimes you just need to go home from work. You just need to go home. You need to get off work. You need to sit at the game. It's important that you're at the game. It's important that you're at the recital. It's a four-year-old recital. It's important. You need to be there. And when you're home, you need to be there. And I'm preaching to myself, man, you put that phone down. Make eye contact with your children. Why? Because it's not just about your relationship with them, but right in that moment, they're forming their relationship with their Heavenly Father. Now, when I, when I say that, I, when I, and I say this, I, I know that this is hard because there's many dads that we, your kids are older and, and they're gone or, or maybe the toddler years are gone and you can never get the years back and you just messed up. This is what I tell you. Start today. Start today. If you need to make a phone call, make the phone call. If you need to get on your knees or get next to you, that little kid that you love so much at seven years old and tell them you're sorry and start then start over again, it's important because our children are shaping and molding their view of their Heavenly Father based on us. 
And here's what happens is um, people, even, even followers of Jesus, will carry a skewed version of who their heavenly father is for, for decades. And it, it just shapes who they are and, and how they feel about God. So, so many people, just, you just have this view, God's just a deadbeat dad. That's just who he is. That's just who he is. But that is not who he is. In fact, Jeremiah tells us God is the opposite. He's, he's not distant. He's not harsh. He's, he's not absent. He says this, I would love to treat you as my own child. Come on, tell three people right now, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. All right? He's a good dad. God is not distant, not harsh. He's not absent. God is, no, he's loving. He's caring. He's compassionate. He's merciful. This is who your father is. Oh, that is where you're supposed to say amen. Good preaching, Brad. Keep going. Because that is good preaching. That is good stuff. Like somebody like, I didn't know that about God. Is he really? He's, he's, he's mercy. Yes, this is our God. We need to be reminded of who he is and how much he desperately loves us. See, God never abandons us. We are the ones who abandon him. This is what Jeremiah tells us in verse 20. God says, but you have been unfaithful to me you people of Israel. And then at the end of verse 21, for they have chosen what? They've chosen crooked paths and they have what? Forgotten the Lord their God. See, we think God has somehow forgotten us. Well, you know, he didn't answer my prayer. You know, he wasn't there when I, when I needed him. or he, he didn't do what I thought he would do or what I wanted him to do. And God hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten us. We've forgotten him. Jeremiah says, we're the ones who've been unfaithful. We're the ones who, who've turned away from him. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And if you're not familiar with it, it's this, this boy, and, and his dad was wealthy, and, and this boy did not want to stay at home un, under his father's authority anymore. Sound familiar? Uh, and so this, this teenage boy, he just had, he had the world all figured out, okay? Teenage boys don't do that. I know that. When teenage boys are they're completely under the authority of their parents. This guy was different, though, okay? So completely different than any other teenager that's ever, ever lived, all right? So this teenage boy, he's like, no, Dad, I got it figured out. I want my inheritance. And so the dad's like, but dude, look at all the, all the stuff. I got all this great stuff for you. You, you live in a sweet pad, you know, you got the car, you got the cell phone, I'm paying your auto insurance, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, I got it all figured out, dad, and I'm going to figure it out myself. And so he leaves. And, and the Bible says that he, he leaves and then he, he's got all this money. So he is rolling. He's got the ladies and he's at the casino. He's at the blackjack table. I mean, he's buying lottery tickets. He's everybody's best friend until he runs out of money. And he runs out of money, and all of his friends and all of the ladies leave. And now he's got no money, he's got no job, and he's looking around. The only job he can find is slopping hogs. He's over here slopping these hogs, and he's like, man, my dad and the, all the stuff that I had, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just go back to my dad. I'm going I'm to humble myself, and 
He gets smart at this point. By the way, you know, poverty will make you smart, will it not? I mean, just right. You know, ramen noodles will make you smart, won't they? Uh, they will. Amen? Yeah, all right, they will. And so you, you, he's, he's just hanging out there, and he says, I'll just go home and be a servant. I, I, it's way better than here. So he starts heading back home. And his dad is like standing there looking off in the distance, and he's like waiting for his son to come home. Some of you, you, you have uh, teenagers and you have older children left home and they're prodigals. They, they're not following Jesus. You raise them to know Jesus and they don't, they're not following Jesus anymore. And you know that picture, right? So like a mom and a dad standing on the porch just waiting and looking. I, and, and, and like the family's like, hey, you need to come in. He's not coming home. No, and then you're just like, no, he's coming. I know he's, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep a lookout because I swear he's going he's gonna to come home. I know he's going to come home. And he's, he's looking and he's, he's watching and he's waiting. And the family's like, seriously, how many more days are you going to stand out on that porch and, and wait for him to come? How many more days are you going to do that? Come on, he, he ain't coming home. And, but mom, dad, what do you do? You stand out on that porch and you're looking. No, my kid is coming home to Jesus. And, and so you're looking and the prodigal suddenly rounds the corner and the dad's like, there he is. And in that moment, the dad doesn't go, come here, boy. Yeah, what do those lottery tickets get you? Where's your ladies now? Uh-huh. I mean, no. He's just not rolling up on him and, and telling him everything that he did wrong. I told you you shouldn't have gone. <laughs> Too bad for you. No. The Bible says that he's like, hey, <laughs> he's coming. Go get the robe. Go get kill that fatted calf, get the ring, get the sandals, comes and he just embraces his son and he welcomes him home. He's so excited for him to be home. Listen, mom, dad, you know that feeling. If you have a prodigal, you know that feeling. I can't wait for them to come home. This is your God. This is what he's desiring from you. He's not sitting around waiting to punish you, waiting to do the throwdown on you, tell you, I told you if you did that. I told you if you were with that person. I told you if you did. I don't know why I think that God moves like this, but God, I told you and I told you. <laughs> but that's what we think God is like. He's going to tell me all. No, but God just welcomes us with open arms. He's just happy that we have come home. Jeremiah says it this way, my wayward children, says the Lord, verse 22, my wayward children come back to me, and I will what? Heal your wayward hearts. See, even in Israel's rebellion, God, God loved them. His, his heart was, was for their healing. And in verse 23, we get a picture of some of the things that the Israelites were doing. They were taking advantage of Orphans. They were taking advantage of the of the uh, of widows. They were taking advantage of foreigners. But that wasn't even half of the rebellion they were in. And one thing that Jeremiah tells us that they would do is they were taking their cattle and they were sacrificing them to false idols. We talked about this a little bit last week. They'd, they'd set up idols on every hill and underneath every tree. They were worshiping all these false gods from other nations. And suddenly they were taking these the cattle and that, that were supposed to be sacrificed and held for God, and instead of bringing them to God and sacrificing them, they were taking them to these false idols and sacrificing them. You know, well, okay, all right. And then we read they were sacrificing their children 
like slaughtering them. That's insane. Like if you and I, if we heard of a nation right now that was slaughtering their children to some false god, we would say, load up the plane, load up the military, go over there and take care of those people. This is what they were doing. And it was crazy because all of it, now you, you and I today, we don't understand that idea of like sacrificing children. But what you have to understand is in that time period, that's what other religions would do to appease the anger of the gods they would sacrifice their children. Laura and I were in Israel in April, and we saw the valley where they, where they would sacrifice these children. So they're sacrificing their children, and then on top of that, they're having sexual orgies. They're having religious orgies. Some of you right now are like, how many more times is he going to say orgies in church? I didn't say that. Jeremiah said that. I can't make eye contact with you right now. I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't look at you. It's right now somebody's going, Mom, what's an orgy? Seriously? All right, just Google it. Just Google Don't Google it. Do not. Don't Google that. Don't Google that. Some of your parents right now, thanks, Brad. Thanks a lot. Now I got a story. Now I got to tell my kids. Man, but... but they were supposed to be in the covenant of marriage with a man and a woman, and their sexual practices were just insane, what they, what they were doing. Now, I know some of us would say, man, I've never, I've, never, I've never done any of that kind of stuff. I mean, come on. In fact, actually, Brad, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I know you're talking about guilt and shame and past regrets and those. I don't really have any. I just, I just don't. I've never done anything really, really bad bad in my life before. L listen to what Jeremiah says here. He says this, turning to anyone or anything other than God is a delusion. It's a crooked path. It is sin. Anytime we turn and we do the opposite of what God wants us to do, it's a crooked path and it is sin. The problem is we all have a hole in our soul. I'll have a hole in our soul. Come on, tell, tell somebody right now, you got a hole in your soul. So you got to say it like that too. You got a hole in your soul, all right? We've all got a hole in our soul, and what we do is we try to fill it with delusions. Like the, the children of Israel, they, they, they did it with cattle. We, we, don't, we don't sacrifice cattle, but, but we do lay our resources on the altar of consumerism because we have a hole in our soul and we think a $9 t-shirt is going to fill that hole in my soul and so if I can just get that TV or that car or live in that neighborhood or do that thing and God has given you resources to be a steward of those resources and there are people that he wants you to use those resources for to bless people he wants you to be a generous person helping people in need but you're like oh I can't I can't just I can't give that to somebody. I, I could get a lot of money for that on Craigslist. I could put that on eBay. What if you actually prayed and said, God, do you want me to give this to someone or do you want me to sell it? Because maybe God wants you to give that to someone. Maybe he wants you to sell it. I don't know. But what happens is we take the resources that were intended for God's purposes and his plans and we keep them for ourselves and we make sacrifices on the altar of consumerism. Now, we don't, we don't sacrifice children. I mean, come on, we don't do that. 
or do we? I mean, we, we would never think about anything like that, but how many times are we laying our children on the altar of youth sports? Oh, now he is preaching. Now I'm backing up off my toes, preacher man. Come on. How many times do we lay our children on that altar of youth sports and we drive them to practice after practice after practice after practice? Listen, I love youth sports. I, my, all my kids have played it. I coached it for over 20 years. But how many practices do our kids need? How many games do they need to go to? We got game after game, altar after altar, and practice after practice, and altar after altar. Also, my 8-year-old can get a participation trophy from the nine games he plays on a weekend. Seriously? Oh, I am preaching up in here right now. Why are you doing it? Oh, I'm, I'm doing it for them. Really? Because they're completely exhausted, and you're getting them up at 4.30 in the morning to drive them to Kansas for some tournament that four teams are showing up for on a field that's not even astroturf. It's nothing. And you're just like, what are we doing here? Are you really, are you really doing it for them? I, I love you sports, but am I really doing it for them, or am I sacrificing my children just so... I can fill a hole in my soul because this is what everybody does. Everybody, everybody puts their kids in youth sports and everybody does that. And if you don't do that, then you're a bad mom. You're a bad dad. If you say no to a practice, if you say no to a game, you're a terrible parent. That's what the world wants to tell you. Can I tell you from my own experience? Say no. It's amazing what will happen to your children when you say no. What would happen if instead of taking them to nine practices in a four-day span, you said, you know what, we're just gonna stay home. And we're just going to have a family night. When's the last time you had a family night? The family night is in your suburban driving to the field, right? Or maybe you're like, for some of you, you're like, man, thank God my kids have no athletic ability. Praise God. No guilt for me. (laughs) They got the smart gene. Thank you, Jesus. Really? What about that sticker on the back of your car? Is that really for them? Where you push and you push and you push for A after A after A. Got to get them in this class or that class or this class or this altar. And I lay them on this altar and this altar and this altar. And I push and you got to go, go, go and get them in this, that, and the others so I can get a sticker on the back of my car. So the world knows I'm a great dad. I'm a great mom. Now, I'm not against you sports. I love you sports. I said that. I'm not against grades. You need to push your kids to get grade, good, good grades. But... Are you doing it for them or are you doing it to fill the own hole that you have in your soul? See, we do the same things they did. It just looks a little bit different. And here's what Jeremiah says in verse 23. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. That's the only place you're going to find it. The only place you're going to find salvation. The word salvation means deliverance, okay? It, it means the opposite of what I don't want in my life. I want this in my life. I want good in my life. This is what God has, has for me. This is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus came. He didn't come to punish you. He came to take your punishment. He came to save you from the prison you find yourself 
locked in. He came so that hole in your soul could be plugged with him. All of those other things over and over again. Come on. You, we all know this. You, you can only buy so many things. You can only go to so many games. You can only get so many trophies. You can only put so many t- stickers on the back of your car. It just is it just never ending, right? Never ending over and over and over again. Oh, and I didn't even, I, I didn't even talk about the sexual orgies, did I? This, he just skipped right over. I was hoping he was going to skip over that one. We, we would never do that. We would never participate in, in sexual orgies. I mean, that's just, that's, that's disgusting. You know, we, we, we would never do that, but, but how often do we move from bed to bed to bed to bed? We might do it, not do it in a group, but we just do it one relationship at a time. Altar on altar on altar on altar. Or maybe if it's not that, it's um, website to website to website, image to image, altar to altar, video to video, altar to altar. Now I know I'm preaching because this is so rampant in, even in the Christian culture, and it has a a stranglehold on our our culture today, and it's ruining families, and it's it's ruining our lives, and we think that it's going to bring satisfaction in in this, but listen, it, it, it is not, okay? Can I tell you this? It is not cyber sex. It is cyber rape. That's the only way I know how to describe that. The person on the other side of the screen, most of the time, is not a willing participant. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. That's somebody's sister that you are using and you are abusing. And it's got to stop with us. Now, I, I know in, in a room like this, it's just tough because you're like, Brad, I, I don't want to be that person. I, I, don't, I don't want to be like that. But I, it's got this stranglehold on me. Can I tell you this? The only one, the only hope you have for salvation, the only hope you have for deliverance is Jesus, is crucifying it, putting it to death, and putting your trust in him. Peter, who followed Jesus and was one of his closest disciples, and the one Jesus said, hey, I'm going to start the church on you. And, and he knew that Jesus was a friend, but he also knew Jesus was also the Messiah. And Peter said this in 1 Peter 2.24. He, being Jesus, he, he personally carried our sins in his body. Think about that. He personally carried your sins in his body. On that cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. In other words, we can get off the crooked path and get on the straight path. Does that not sound good? Get off that crooked path, get off that windy road, get on a straight path, get on a good path, get on the right path headed in the right direction. And let's say this next part together. Can we say this together? By his wounds, you are healed. He took my sin. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my bondage and my prison that I found myself in. He carried that all on a cross so I could receive healing for my soul. This is who Jesus is. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. Jeremiah says, you're you're wayward children, but now you've turned to your shepherd like this. Come on, let's say this together. What? He is what? The guardian of your souls. There he is, the original guardian of the galaxy. That is Jesus, okay? 
God's heart is for my healing. God is the guardian of your soul. God is the the watchman over your soul. He cares for you. He's not forgotten you. He's not rejected you. You are not damaged goods. And this is what Core Church is. Core Church is simply a, a home for wayward people, a home for people that recognize our need for a Savior. We're, we're, we're a place where broken people show up for some healing, where, where we can get back on track. If you hang around us long enough, you're going to realize we're all kind of imperfect people, and we're just trying to make it a little less about me and a little more about Jesus. Because when it's a little less about me and a little more about Jesus, things go so much better. This, this is not a place of guilt and condemnation. This is a place where you come to get set free from guilt and condemnation. This is a place where you come to walk out of your prison cell. This is, this is why one of our key core values is that we receive healing as we offer our souls in surrender. Jeremiah says this in verse 25. He says, let us now lie down in shame and cover ourselves with dishonor. Now, that might not make sense to, to you and, and me, but in the, in the Old Testament, when, when a person was repentant, they would actually lay down flat on, on the ground, okay? I mean, they, they were the original plankers, okay? That's what they would do. They would lay down on the ground. They'd be planking, and, and then they would heap ashes on, on them so everyone knew that they were repentant. Now think about how humbling that is to do that. But what's interesting is they did not care what people thought. They cared what God thought. It reminds me of uh, when I was growing up, they had these uh, things called altar calls. Many of you didn't grow up in church. I did since since I was a little baby. Uh, I've been in church. And I I remember the preacher at the end of his message, he would say, all right, everyone bow your heads. Nobody looking around. And then they start playing Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea, but that might... You know, and, so, and, and every week, same thing, same drill. And I remember we'd be standing up, and I remember I'd be standing there like this, and everybody's supposed to have their head bowed and nobody looking around, but everybody was doing this. <laughs> kind of half peeking, you know? And I remember you'd be like, oh my goodness, Phil's going to the altar. Do you know Phil's going... Look at Betty's going to the altar. Why is Betty going to the altar? I thought their marriage was good. What's wrong? I just, I don't know. I've heard some things about Phil. I bet I know why he's down there. None of us ever did that. You, it was a bold step to move out from that pew. We used to sit in pews. And, and move out from that pew and walk down to the front because all eyes were staring on you. But in that moment, you didn't care what people thought. You cared what God thought. And you found your way to an old school altar and kneeled in repentance before God. I remember what happened for me, 1995. I'd been following Jesus for 11 years. I was teaching Sunday school. I was a member of the board. I was on the, the board. And I, I remember standing at that pew and, and I had my hands on it. And, and I just remember gripping that pew and and, and God speaking to me and God saying, you need to go down. You need to do some business with me. There's some things, Brad, you need, to, you need to surrender to me. And I said, I know, God, I can do it right here in my seat. I'll just do it right here in my seat. I, I don't need to go down front. And God said, no, you need to go down front. You need to take a step, a physical step, in, in, so that you will be obedient to me. And I was like, I know, God, but everybody's going to be looking at me and all that. And finally, I said, you know what? I do not care what people think. 
I care what God thinks. And I stepped out from that pew and I started walking down and I'm telling you, I could feel the people staring at me and I wanted to turn around and go, it's okay, uh, my marriage is fine, it's okay, it's all right, I love my kids, it's okay, all right, you know, it's good. And, but I didn't, I just kept moving down the front because I didn't care what people thought, I cared what God thought. And I made my way to an altar. It was, uh, it was at Central Church in Tulsa. And I, I remember kneeling at an altar on, on this side. And, and I remember just talking to God and said, I'm done. I'm done living for myself. And I remember getting up off my knees and just the peace that I had in my life since that, uh, since that moment of getting up off my knees has never been the same. Can I tell you, it's never been the same. Listen, I, I was in a prison cell, and God, this is who God is. He comes in, not only does he unlock the prison cell, he walks into the prison cell in the person of Jesus. He came to be with us. He walks into that prison cell, and he says, you don't need to be in this cell anymore. I came to set you free, child. Come on out with me. And he wants us to walk out into our freedom, into our freedom. This is who our God is.